Welcome to Taiwan Plus News. I'm Ian Kavat. China carried out nine incursions into Taiwan's air defense zone on Tuesday, the highest number in one day this month. With the increase of U.S. defense spending in the region, Beijing is also flexing its military muscle at sea. There are plans for three new amphibious assault ships that also act as mini aircraft carriers. As Bing Wang reports, there are now concerns the vessels could be stationed near Taiwan. The People's Liberation Army on Tuesday sent nine more aircraft into Taiwan's air defense zone. And while the incursions continue in the skies, a new threat looms down below. China recently commissioned three Type 75 amphibious assault ships. Military experts say the ships pose a threat to Taiwan's naval security. The 40,000-ton Type 75 amphibious assault ship also functions as a mini-carrier, with space for six helicopters, tanks, armored vehicles, and up to a thousand troops. China's Global Times said the Type 75 is a deterrent to what it calls Taiwan secessionists. Meanwhile, the U.S. is poised to pass its 2022 National Defense Authorization Act, which contains almost 770 billion U.S. dollars in military spending. 7.1 billion of this is earmarked for the Pacific Deterrence Initiative. This may bolster the U.S. posture in the region, which Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin sees as worrying thanks to China's increasing strength. It's racing to develop uh, you know, military capability as, uh, as fast as it can, but you know, some of the coercive activity we see in the region has us and our, our partners in the region very, very concerned. The more than 3,000-page act mentions Taiwan a record 73 times. We remain steadfast to our One China policy and our commitments under the Taiwan Relations Act to support Taiwan's ability to defend itself while also maintaining our capacity to re resist any resort to force that would jeopardize the security of the people of Taiwan. But some local experts say a military invasion from China is unlikely due to the difficulty of invading the island. But with cross-strait tensions continuing on the rise, Taiwan knows it must prepare for any scenario, even something as extreme as a suicide mission. Alex Chen and Bing Wong for Taiwan Plus. Consumer prices in Taiwan rose 2.84% in November, compared with the same time last year. It's the biggest year-on-year -year increase in nearly nine years. Nearly every category saw a spike, including transportation, dining, entertainment and living costs. The government says the increase is due to surging prices of fuel and food and denies a wider inflation trend is underway. It predicts prices will stabilize this month thanks to subsidies and tax reductions. Australia will not send diplomatic representation to the Winter Olympics in Beijing, following a similar move by the United States. Prime Minister Scott Morrison said the boycott should come as no surprise. He cited China's human rights abuses in Xinjiang and ongoing trade tensions as reasons for the move. Morrison said that Australian athletes will still attend the Games, which are due to begin in February.
but of course the human rights abuses in Xinjiang and the many other issues that Australia has consistently raised. Um, we have been very pleased and, and very happy to talk to the Chinese government about these issues and, and, uh, and there's been no obstacle to that occurring on our side, uh, but the Chinese government has consistently uh, not, not uh, um, accepted uh, those opportunities uh, for us uh, to meet about these issues. So it is not surprising, therefore, uh, that Australian government officials uh, would therefore not be going uh, to China for those games. International media watchdog Reporters Without Borders says press freedom is in free fall in Hong Kong in a report published Tuesday called The Great Leap Backwards of Journalism in China. Our reporter Louise Watt spoke to Cedric Alviani, the director of the organization's East Asia Bureau in Taipei. I started by asking him how much the situation in Hong Kong has deteriorated. Over the past 18 months, there have been a systematic and very violent suppression of freedom of the press. Um, 18 months ago, the uh, Chinese regime has adopted the national security law that allows the Hong Kong government to bypass the constitution, to bypass the basic law, and to engage in um, arbitrary detention and to accuse journalists on national security crimes uh, that are actually defined in such a blurry manner that uh, any crime uh, can apply to any kind of journalism. For the first time in the recent history of Hong Kong, uh, there are journalists and press freedom defenders detained in Hong Kong. Uh, we have 10 currently, and only 12 persons are being accused of national security crimes, including Jimmy Lai, the founder of Apple Daily, uh, a media that was recently dismantled by the Hong Kong government. Jimmy Lai is uh, actually today uh, 74 years old and he is spending his birthday in prison. How is the Chinese government increasingly trying to control information outside its borders? The attitude of the Chinese ambassadors is very emblematic. They systematically attack every journalist or political commentator whose opinion is different from uh, what they would like to see. Our report is illustrated on the cover by the work of a very famous Chinese dissident artist named Badiou Cao. And this artist actually had um, last month an exhibition in a small Italian town Russia and the uh, city government of this town received actually a lot of pressure from the Chinese embassy for this exhibition uh, to be cancelled. And it is not acceptable that a cartoonist uh, would receive so much pressure for a small exhibition. This is something happening everywhere in the world. Uh, everywhere the Chinese ambassadors uh, are applying pressure on journalists. Grilled ribs served with a secret sweet sauce. Pumpkins cakes sprinkled with popped Taiwan oil millet. These are just some of the innovative dishes created by a new generation of indigenous chefs in the southeastern county of Taidong. By fusing traditional cuisine with modern methods, they're serving up their flavors to a wider audience than ever before. Wei Zhonglu has the story. Ibu is preparing an indigenous gourmet treat for her customers. She's a Bunong cook 
and this miller dish is one of the most famous on her menu. She stirs it for two hours so it reaches the right consistency. Ibu spent a year learning how to make this dish from a tribal elder. Since then, she's become the tribe's millet specialist. Ibu also takes great care to serve the food in a traditional manner, on leaves and bamboo. The millet grows right next to her restaurant, which only adds to the dining experience. This is her way of telling the story of her people and their culture. Fa Yang, another indigenous cook, also gets many of her ingredients from her own restaurant's backyard. After living in a big city for years, Fa Yang returned home to her family. And she says this restaurant is a new opportunity to reconnect to her roots. Most indigenous food in Taiwan is geared to tourists and has been adapted to cater to the taste of the Taiwanese majority. But there are more people like Ibu and Fayang who want to share the genuine spirit of indigenous culture, and the Taidong city government wants to help them. To make the most authentic indigenous cuisine, these restaurants use a lot of traditional crops, which then encourages tribes to keep growing them and gain their food sovereignty. Duhi, an indigenous writer, visited all the restaurants that work with the city project. She said that by presenting traditional food in a modern way, these restaurants plant a seed of curiosity about their culture. It's still very uh, original and still very natural. And I would say that's how I see indigenous food. It's not just food to feed people. And it's, it's more about like the story behind it and also like a lot of wisdom behind it. Taiwanese indigenous people have struggled for decades to regain power over their cultural discourse. Now the younger generation is being creative about merging tradition with modernity by using food as a way to preserve their stories while building a connection with those around them. Asnaya Zhou, Weizhong Lu for Taiwan Plus. The pandemic and lockdowns have affected lives and businesses across the world. One of the biggest victims was bookstores, which already were under threat due to digitization. But a Ghanaian photographer living in New York used it as an opportunity to build the world's largest collection of books with images taken in Africa or by photographers of African descent. Philip Brossard has this story. It was magazines like National Geographic that sparked Ninsen's love for photography. And the more he looked at them, the more questions he had about the stories they told. Some of these pictures um, tell stories of places, but mostly sometimes what I wonder is what if those people in those communities contribute to these stories in a way of self-expression of who they are. Do people in these communities accept how they are being depicted? especially the Africans. Ninsen's idea is to create Africa's largest photography library in the Ghanaian capital of Accra. The library will be called the Dikain Center. Dikain means take the lead in Ninsen's local language. And that's what Ninsen hopes Africans will do. Take the lead in telling their own narratives. Because we've left the space for so long for people to tell their stories and distribute their stories. And that is what I want to be able to fill that, give the tools and the resources to African photographers and to black people to be able to tell our stories. 
Ninsen originally took out personal loans to pay for the books, but after getting a helping hand from the founder of the popular blog Humans of New York, a crowdfunding campaign raised one million U.S. dollars in just one day. In the beginning, when I was collecting these books and I was I was spending my own money, you know, working under、uh, a lot of work, several hours to pay for this was because I come from Ghana. You know, I don't come from a rich home, and to have the opportunity to come here, the whole notion is like to make it for yourself. Ninsen has already sent more than eighteen thousand books back to Ghana, and he will return home himself in December, while the Dekine Center is being built. If all goes well. By the end of next year, Paul Ninsen's Ghanaian dream will become a reality. Patrick Chun and Philip Brassard for Taiwan Plus. Thanks for watching Taiwan Plus News. I'm Ian Kavat. We leave you with images of Santa Claus and elves visiting an aquarium in Malta to spread Christmas joy underwater. For more stories from Taiwan and around the world, please download the Taiwan Plus app. Stay safe and see you next time.